Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Catching Foxes. This awkward intro was brought to you by a new toy I bought by watching too many YouTube videos, the Rode Roadcaster Pro. It's got fun little buttons, and I'm sure I'm going to push way too many of them. Such as this volume slider. Oh, this is, this is good. This is bad. Okay, you need to stop. All right. Hey, Brian, how are you? I'm well, Michael. How are you? I would say strong to quite strong. Got to strike when the iron's hot. If you don't, I will. <laughs> so, Brian Jones is the lowly coordinator of liturgy here at St. Anthony of Padua. Is your title... Okay, you have had a handful of titles. Some of them uh, imposed by me uh, right. that are illegitimate. Mm-hmm. At one point, you you had the title of manager. And then, I don't know if that ever stuck. Did you ever get a name badge with the word manager I think on it? said assistant regional manager. Assistant to the regional assistant manager. Assistant liturgical manager. That's beautiful. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. So, is your official title coordinator of liturgy or coordinator of liturgical ministries? Uh, it is coordinator of liturgy. Okay. Because I keep saying liturgical ministries just to mess with people. You know, it's fun. probably when I was first hired, if I were to go back and look at the, um, you know, the original document it, it perhaps it does say that yeah but uh yeah i've been saying coordinator of liturgy for it's just uh, easier yeah it's just yeah. easier it, it's it's hard though because it's not easier because when i say that people go what's that <laughs> we are catholic after all what is that yeah so what is a coordinator of liturgy you know for in, in the past it used to be in a very silly way it, it, like in retrospect it's silly i would try to explain what it is that i do You're like, well, this is mainly what I do. Uh, I tell ministers of Holy Communion that they're extraordinary, and they thank me for the compliment. (laughs) Then I have to tell them it's not a compliment. It actually means you're not really supposed to be here if it weren't for the quantity of people. You shave 200 people off of this audience. A congregation. Whoopsie. It's uh, Novus Ordo slip. No, you shave 200 people off of this congregation. You're, you're just out of here. assisting. It's not a ministry. <laughs> is, that, is that okay? Stop blessing people. Stop, Stop it. it. Stop, I will just, slap your hand. It's not, it's not any different than when they sneeze. You say, God bless you. Right? Was that literally what someone said? Please tell me yes. Yes. And I know who it is. I absolutely do, don't I? <laughs> so this is funny. So Brian is a coordinator of liturgy at our church, and do you have a liturgy background at all? You're just like a, a like a philosopher trying to get his doctorate. Uh, trying. I got my um, liturgy degree from Notre Dame. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so many buttons. So many buttons. This, this gonna is going to awesome. be mostly filler sounds <laughs> from your new board that you got. Yeah, I mean, apart from the MA in theology, which didn't prepare me for the role, uh, and the MA in philosophy, which didn't prepare me, and writing the, uh, you know, finishing my PhD, um, also finishing, doing, finishing, finishing scare quotes, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it it could get done. I don't know though. Uh, I, I mean, I feel good about it, but it's more of just a kind of an empty self affirmation. Yeah, yeah. Um, but. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it's kind of one of those things where we've had many of these conversations uh, where it's something like, what, 80% of, of work probably is is really just on-the-job training. Yeah. And I think um, if you can write at a somewhat decent level um, and speak at a, at a, in a decent way, that you could probably do most forms of work um, pretty well. Yeah. And um, at the end of this podcast, <clears throat> we'll have the Patreon supporters judge whether or not you spoke pretty well. Dang it. I oh. know. Uh, well, I'm, I'm not going to. ABC. Always be critical. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so, yeah, in terms of just 
education background, no, I didn't didn't have anything that prepared me really to become uh, to do what I do now yeah. at the parish. Relationships take work. A lot of us will drop anything to go and help someone we care about. We'll go out of our way to treat other people well, but how often do we give ourselves the same treatment? And I have now three people who are very close to me who use betterhelp.com slash foxes to get that sweet, sweet discount, who use BetterHelp on an ongoing basis, and it really, really works. We need to make sure that we, too, are mentally, physically, and emotionally healthy. This month, BetterHelp Online Therapy wants to remind you to take care of your most important relationship the one you have with yourself and Yahweh. The good thing is they have Christian counselors. Whether it's hitting the gym, making time for your haircut, or even trying therapy, you are your greatest asset. So invest the time and effort into yourself like you do for other people. BetterHelp is online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to, which I really don't want to. (laughs) It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Give it a try and see why over 2 million people have used BetterHelp online therapy. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp, and Catching Fox's listeners get 10% off their first month, which is huge, at betterhelp.com slash foxes. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash foxes. Thanks to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode and thousands of episodes of Catching Foxes. Let me take a minute to tell you about our friends over at creditkarma.com. What are your financial goals? Recently, I purchased a house. I've had to refinance debt. We've had to explore credit card options to see what's best for travel. Credit Karma can help with every single one of those things because it all depends on your credit score. Credit Karma is most known for their free credit scores and credit monitoring, which is so important and so necessary today. But they also help their members with other services like finding auto insurance, opening free savings accounts, finding great credit cards, and finding a great personal loan. See, here's the financial tools to help you succeed and to grow and to progress in your personal financial life. A lot of us are paralyzed when it comes to finances, and Credit Karma can help you on the path. So for instance, a lot of people are big Dave Ramsey fans. I was a big Dave Ramsey fan. I got out of debt. But in the FIRE, Financial Independent Retire Early Movement, the idea is some credit cards incentivize their users with things like travel rewards. So here's the question. Why not buy a trip based on travel rewards if you pay off that credit card all the time. So that's what we did. Credit Karma can help you compare rewards options so that you can find a card that fits your lifestyle, helping you earn miles or cash back for spending you're going to do anyway. And for me and the Gormley family, it's all about those miles. So in trying to progress financially, you need someone, a tool in your tool chest that can help you do just that. Comparing cards on Credit Karma is 100% free, and it will not affect your credit scores. It takes just a few minutes to sign up. What you want to do is go to creditkarma.com or the Credit Karma app to find the card for you. That's creditkarma.com. Thank you to Credit Karma for sponsoring this episode of Catching Foxes. Liturgy, like if you go to a traditional parish, your job wouldn't exist. Because true. 
because everything that happens at the ma- is in the book. You just do the book. Right. The priest who's doing the mass picks the things if there are options like, oh, today we can do an optional blessing of mothers and right. or whatever it is, and then you go and do that. But the funny thing is in a, in a Novus Ordo Mass, every, there's options aplenty, right? Mm-hmm. There's options for this or options for that, and it's kind of become a running joke with us, like not only about the options but the phrase, these or similar words, <laughs> like – I remember the first RCIA rite I was ever going through, and it's like, you're going to do the blessing for confirmation. It's like, yeah. and then using these or similar words, the priest says, and I'm like, whoa, whoa what? What does that mean? These or, like, how similar? Yeah. Like, do I, like, maybe there's a 50 words in the prayer, and I have to use, like, five of them? Executive summary. An executive summary. The one-minute manager. I'm too busy for this. <laughs> Just give me the one-minute devotional, I, and I'll be out. I cannot bless water for this long at the Easter Vigil Mass. <laughs> Is it like that Seinfeld moment where you just go, Lord God, Father of mercies, yada, 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 <laughs> in the name of the Father, Son, Holy, through Christ our Lord, amen. Yep. Right. Yeah, I, mean, I think it's it's been a slow progression of, you know, hey, this this is in place, so don't change it. Oh, okay. This is in place. We don't shift this. We only do these things. Yeah. And then... And these are th- the things you're referencing are bad things. Correct. Things that should not happen in a liturgy. Correct. They're either bad or uh, I would say if you, uh, by doing them, it could certainly foster, I think we would say, maybe it is a kind of malformation. So I think you'd have categories of like, yeah, yeah certainly this is bad. Uh, some of the other things are. It, uh, I'm sure we'll talk about it. It gives you a. It gives you a. I would say a faulty liturgical vision by the fact that we do it. Although maybe per se in itself it's not not bad. Yeah. So there's things that happen all the time in the mass that aren't evil, immoral, or yeah. whatever, but they're not uh, in harmony with the point of the liturgy. Right. Yeah. And they take away. Yeah. I mean, there's there's a handful of examples we could think of. We, we can say them or not. No, we can uh, say them. Okay, let's say them. great. Uh, beautiful. This is, so safe. Let's do, let, this is a safe space to hear safe a dangerous place. message, Ooh. the gospel. So let's think of five. Let's think of five things that were done in and of themselves, you know, not horrible. Sure. They're not They're not liturgical abuses in the sense that they right. maybe right. invalidate the Mass. Right. But they are liturgical abuses. They're liturgical shenanigans. So the first would be... Um, it it's not in principle. It's not necessarily an abuse okay. that you have a lot of EMHCs or a large quantity of them. Yeah. Okay. In because you could textually, in terms of documentation, you could find the uh, justifications for large parish, fewer clergy yeah. need more EMHCs. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You Absolutely. Got, you got you got hundreds of people. You got yeah. one guy. You know, you're at a you're at a medium sized right. suburban parish. Right. You get to me MHCs. The tremendous challenge is that this is again, you and I talk about this all the time. No one else does, but we do. Um, and I'm sure we'll talk about it more. <laughs> it's the worst part about having your office door across from mine. Yes. Yeah. So you say in one level, well that that's in principle it's not an abuse, but the perhaps the the subtle effect which I'm more interested in and concerned with is what kind of by because of that contextual situation of lots of emhcs what sort of psychological impact does that have for the church right for both the emhcs themselves um and and those who receive holy communion just the general faithful and and, and granted in saying this emhcs are 
generally very devout and they yeah. are good intentioned and yeah, so, it's an expression of their already yes. very devout faith. Yes. And so we're not bagging on mm, any individual no, people, EMHCs. No. We're bagging on the culture that says, well, we have to have 500 EMHCs right. at every mass and all this stuff that kind of gets written <clears> in there, even though they're obviously allowed. You're allowed to have extraordinary ministers right. of Holy Communion. Right. Yeah. And I think the, the way that you put that is good is you could say if someone says, well, uh, but textually, look here, we can do this. True. I'm not concerned about the permission because yeah. if it's not permitted, then you're talking about just a straight up abuse. Mm-hmm. Right. So we're talking about we're trying to do away with abuses yeah. that are just straight up. These things shouldn't be happening. They ought not to exist. Now it's what sort of um, because of the context of uh, the liturgy itself, what sort of things, mm-hmm. um, wh- how do people build a liturgical vision, right? That's yeah. what we always talk about. And so when you have lots of EMHCs, right, and fewer clergy, um, it does give uh, this sort of worldview or this impression that, oh, this is, a, this is a kind of ministry, right? This is how I participate more fully in the Mass, yeah, right? And then COVID hits, and then... We, you know, a few e- fewer EMHCs are brought back, right? For for a number of reasons, yeah. right? And so people, it, it's not an uncommon thing for people to say, well, you know, now that I'm not distributing Holy Communion at Mass, I kind of feel this emptiness. I sort of feel this, um, uh, like I'm, I'm, like I'm, I'm just kind of not a part of the parish. I'm not yeah. part of the parish life. And and so there. So wait a minute. You you have equated unintentionally and without anyone forming you intellectually. Yeah, no, no one ever said. No one pulled you You're aside. not really in the mass yep. unless you're, unless you got a job. But there's something about those conditions yeah. that has fostered that vision where we say, if I can't participate in this liturgical ministry, whatever we're talking about in the EMHC or whatever it might be, then I feel like I'm just sort of this passive observer, and I'm I'm just sort of looking from the outside, but I'm not really seen. I'm not really participating mm. in, in the liturgy. I, I would say that, perhaps in some respects, is worse than an actual abuse, because an abuse can just simply be stopped. Uh, you can very clearly <clears throat> identify it. Yeah. Point it out, yep. icky. You got yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't do this. You shouldn't do that. Mm-hmm. And it can be stopped. But to be formed in a particular, or to yeah. ha- to have a particular liturgical vision, that's a worldview that's not easily overcome. Yeah, it's know? hard to pinpoint. So you, it's hard to solve. Right, it is. And it's like what Doctor Larry Chap was saying on the um, liturgy episode, where he talked about you know he goes to the uh, ordinary church just like you do. Yep. His phrase was, you know, it's almost like the people who are really to blame are that giant middle group of Catholics who just mm-hmm. go along with everything and and don't speak out and don't don't even understand what the, what it is they're they're kind of freaking out about or what you know the extremes are freaking out about. And it is funny because it's like, well, yeah, but we've been educating their desires, their pre rational yeah. desires. We've been educating how they like stuff. Right. right. If you only mm. listen to pop music, if you're a kid and all you hear is pop music and you never listen to classical, the first time you listen to classical music, nine out of ten kids is going to be like, oh, my gosh, this is boring because it's not simple. It's complex to understand it is to understand, honestly, to, to be able to receive it in a in a truly expansive way. You have to study it for pop music. The reason why it works is because of the hooks. Like it's yeah. so like there are people who hate songs 
but love that refrain or love that chorus, right. right? And it has that hook that brings you in. I believe it was Big Bopper who said it's the hook that brings you back. I think you're right. I think I, I'm always right, even when I'm wrong. Well, you tell me to say that. Yes, I work. do. It's one of these pads. <laughs> oh, not, not that one. Not that one. <laughs> wrong <I know>. one. <laughs> we haven't nailed any of those. Uh, none of them. <laughs> they don't have labels. <laughs> so I'm just hitting colored pads. Why not? That's offensive. It's like but, a um, Yeah. <laughs> Blue. Liturgy. Uh, no, but it is funny because we people keep saying, but what's so wrong with this? You know, like that's the number one. Like, mm. why, are you, why are you taking this away? What was so wrong with it? And it's like, well, it's not a part of document A, paragraph mm. nine. Right. People are like, who gives a shit about a document? I love that, right? But that's sure. the thing. That's the thing. And you hear doc, uh, Dr. Larry Chap trying to wade out into jello. Like, there's no real movement liturgically but then when you get caught up in something that understands liturgy from within even is centered on liturgy mm. like an ordinary at church which um has its own unique form of liturgy or the latin mass the reason why people gravitate to it is there for not everyone but there's a large amount of people the normal ones mm-hmm. they're sitting there and they're reading their you know they go and they get their daily roman missal and it's like oh we should do this and Oh, we're not doing that. We're not even close mm. to doing this. And then they're they're looking. They're they're the Catholics who are reading and researching about the liturgy, which the Vatican II says is the source and summit of our faith. And all of a sudden, it's like not what it says it's supposed to be. Yeah. And then they start, you know, wondering why Father is <clears throat> dancing around the altar. Remember that one video of that Franciscan friar oh, going. Yeah. <laughs> there are people in confession line. Oh gosh! And he's like, like almost stroking right. their face with his yeah. hand. Oh man, he's just dancing around. It's like, dude, do 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 do. Yeah. Everything you're doing needs to stop. And what we have though is this growing. Uh, I call it the Iron Law of Vague Sentimentality. Mm. Right. We've talked about this a bunch of times, but now we're recording it. Damn mm. it! And First the, time the Iron. I know the Iron Law of Vague Sentimentality. Uh, kind of came to a head when someone said, well, we're going to do this. And someone said, no, we're not going to do that. And he said, but the people like it. It's human, mm. right? It's warm. It's human. And Did you I, have to say it was warm? Well, I, I was moist. And uh, I was thinking about <laughs> It was a towelette. It, it was. It was a, it was, yeah, from an airplane. Yeah, and um, uh, it was, no, but the, the funny thing was the justification for things are like, mm. we need 20 EMHCs, not three. Why? Because it's more efficient. Okay, so efficiency is your principle of the is a principle that governs the liturgy, yeah. right? And then the thing with the Iron Law of vague sentimentality, when he said, "Well, it's human," uh, I'll never forget the line that the person said in response. I'm trying to keep it intentionally vague. He just said, "So you're telling me the liturgy is just for us humans? That's your principle, mm-hmm. right?" And I think that's an implicit principle. Like we talk yeah. about, oh yeah, you know, coming to church is the worship of God. But the more we add silly stuff into the mass, even meaningful, but still silly, it's silly because it doesn't fit into the mass. The more we add that stuff into the liturgy, the and it's justification. It's, but this would be nice, right? What, what's wrong right. with this? It's like, well, it takes away from the holy sacrifice of the mass. Um, really, really? Does it really? Does yeah. giving uh, flowers out in the middle of mass <clears throat> take away from the mass? That, that, exercising charity, Brian? I can't be charitable? I can't give someone a flower? And you have these things that build up, and it's like, well, this is the iron law of vague sentimentality. Right. It's, self, it's its own justification. Does it make people feel somewhat warmer? The part that is not only very challenging, but almost, as we've talked about, insurmountable in yeah. some respects, is those things are conceivable under the present conditions. Um, I, I mean, 
you know, without getting into liturgy wars, because we've, as we talked about, we've increasingly become exhausted by them in some yeah. respects. Um, but it's the the notion of just take the example that you used. Um, the the it's a nice thing. You know, Mike and I are close friends. Um, some would say too close. Too close. Our wives would say. Yeah, that. and it's it's a da- maybe it's okay. HR would say. That. Okay, there's there's quotes here that I'm using. It's a danger to our marriage. Okay, fine. Yeah, uh, but that's on them. That's that's they, not us. they're being way too sensitive. Ugh, gosh. I mean, the fact that we're recording this at night. <laughs> it, it, I mean, kind of like Nicodemus, you know, in yeah. the dark of night. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> this is not uh, a problem. It's about water and the Holy Spirit. Yeah, I mean, you. there's Waterloo there's drinks water. here. We are drinking <laughs> sparkling water. Um, but I, I think that the, the, uh, uh, if there's a, a major principle that's extremely difficult to overcome, if, if it's even possible to overcome, is that present conditions of the common expression of the Roman rite in the ordinary form makes those things possible. Mm. Right now, now, sure, you could say, uh, yes, under the right conditions, um, we're not even going to ask those questions about uh, is this thing nice. But that the, the what that would take is a lot. Generally speaking, without like the, the example that I used with you the other day is you know teaching um, college part time. So athletic greens, athletic greens. <laughs> okay, can we? I, I just I know we have I know we've got it. We ha- we ha- yeah. have some copy. My gosh, I am obsessed with Athletic Greens. I am absolutely obsessed with our next partner who has a product that I literally use every day. I started taking um, Athletic Greens because the pitch sounded very cool. This year, I wanted to just embrace embrace health again. You know, uh, that's just my big thing, and I, so that's one of the main reasons why I did Athletic Greens. And we and we uh, were able to meet with them and hear uh, a little bit of like what they're about. A couple other podcasts that are on par. They sent us these starter packs, yeah, which are awesome. Seventy five high quality vitamins, and minerals, whole food source, superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. This is what I do. I come downstairs, I open the kennel for my dog. Dog comes out, I go right over, fill up. My glass of water, 12 ounces, cold water, dump one scoop of Athletic Greens in there, and it supplements for the whole day. It's awesome because the stuff they use is sourced from whole food ingredients, made in New Zealand. It tastes good. It's a powder that you dump into your drink. You can take it on the go. All of my health care regimens have fallen to the wayside, except for Athletic Greens. That should tell you something. <laughs> I was a bit skeptical at first just because I was like, am I going to be peeing very expensive pee? Like That's what I'm, I'm wondering. So tons of people t- take some some like type of a multi a multi vitamin, but it's important to choose one with high quality in- ingredients that your body is going to like actually absorb. I can feel that happen like immediately afterwards, and I've been I'm sleeping a little bit better. Everyone, I'm begging you to buy it so they will keep giving it to us. I don't even know if they're <laughs> going to. And, I mean, like I, like honestly, God, I'm not kidding. Um, we're gonna like both Aaron and I are gonna keep doing this after the problem with these sponsors we start getting them because we're doing an ad and then i end up spending all the ad money on buying more products so So here's a great thing this stuff is lifestyle uh friendly whether you eat paleo uh keto vegan dairy free gluten free Mm -hmm. it's fine it's got less than one gram of sugar uh no gmos which is very important for me and my family no nasty chemicals or artificial anything it's really good stuff so uh, this is what we're going to say. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. I have the travel packs. I will be using the travel packs. You don't have to refrigerate the travel packs. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash foxes. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash foxes. Move over, Joe Rogan, to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Thank you to Athletic Greens for sponsoring this episode. 
of Catching Foxes and my body. So good. It's so good. You know, I teach an ethics class, and and one of the things that, that I always find so striking is it's kind of the analog here is liturgy, but it's um, we talk about happiness, right? And and the question is, um, what what do we all want? Right, we all want to be happy. It's the same point Aristotle made. We all want to be happy. The difference, though, is whether or not uh, the content of happiness is the same for all. Yeah. So they all readily, the students without fail, all readily jump on the first part. Yeah, we all, we all want to be happy. Yep, absolutely. Have whether you seen Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness? I haven't. I've seen the Mitchells prin- versus Machines. Okay. The prince. Yeah, it's very close. Okay. The principal question that drives the whole movie that is asked about six times Mm. is, are you happy? Oh, that's pretty cool. Are you happy? Mm. So then your students say, yeah, yeah, I want to be happy. Yeah, that's the the sunum bonum. Yeah, no. so when you ask the question at the end, uh, you know, we read Matthew Crawford, we read Aristotle, right? And and so, yes, we all want to be happy. And they, without fail, they so easily say, so really the purpose of my life is just to find what it means for me to be happy mm-hmm. and to just pursue that. But but let's be clear or let's say very you know up front uh, adamantly we we we're not what happiness is is different for everybody. Mm-hmm. So what I need to do is just whatever happiness is for me I need to find out what that is and I need to pursue it. And yeah. and that but it, but it, let's be clear though again it's not the same. So Every, Aristotle would never say that. Right, Aristotle's and, and whole point is exactly there is one unified form of happiness. And every single thing that we have read has been <laughs> the exact opposite of that, except our culture. Except, but <laughs> but yeah, so and and that is what that's yeah. that is that, so there, there's sort of a pedagogy in getting them to say that is to then you know at the end drop the hammer and say you, th- this is precisely the point. That we've talked about in the first yeah. three weeks when we read yeah. Paul Kingsnorth and McIntyre and Strauss, you cannot. How difficult it is to break out of this cave, and you can. It's yeah. almost impossible for you not to think this way. Yeah. Even if I give you, and I'm not saying that I'm I'm a great teacher. Um, you can just go to rate my professor, but um, <laughs> but it doesn't. That this is where the the where I said it's it's almost insurmountable in some yeah. respects because. The modern conditions are such that it's so easy to just say that, to draw that conclusion yeah. without either without any intellectual formation or with a lot of it. Isn't that fascinating? So you're saying that you have students who are spending at a, at a college level an entire semester focusing on the question of happiness in a million yep. different ways, ethics, and they're going through it. And at the end, even though they've read the best and the brightest of contemporary and ancient yep. minds on the question of happiness, and they're all saying the same thing, yep. that all humans, no matter where you come from, there is this one overarching form of happiness right. that we all must pursue <clears throat> in order to have the good life, in order to be happy, they immediately, with all the formation, yeah. revert. Yeah, and I think it, I mean, it's it's even as a as a teacher, it made me change the pedagogy, the, the approach, yeah. right? Because as a teacher, it's, after you read all this stuff, you go, oh, man, I just want to give this to everyone. Yeah. And if they see it the way that I do, right, we're all going to look at reality together. Yeah. And we're all going to draw the same conclusion. And, <laughs> and you learn very quickly. Nope. Uh, nope, that ain't going to happen. So how do you have the right conclusion? How do you stick with Aristotle and not with Aristotle and Aquinas and Augustine and... Crawford and all this and not fall the way of Miley Cyrus and 
So before I answer that question, I want to say two things. One, we only gave one example of the five that you I requested. Know. I did. Um, which I'm okay with that. Um, yeah. Denial's not just a river in Egypt. Two, do you have a button you can push? <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> I remember the green one. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then two, I'll, if, if I can remember, I, I was yeah. going to make the analog to uh, to liturgy, but we'll we'll probably do that afterwards. So to your, uh, remind me your question again. How, oh, how do I have the right? Yeah, how conclusion? do you avoid it? No, no, no. How do you avoid being brought back? So if intellectual formation is not enough, what, what, what additional level of formation? I would hold that it's nothing less than a, than a sincere conversion, yeah. right? Like a, a, an, an ongoing conversion. Like you have to have something right. as, it's like, why did Dr. Bernard Nathanson stop being the number one abortion doctor in yeah. the world? Why did Roe from Roe v. Wade stop being pro-choice? Right. The answer is not, oh, well, someone gave him a really good argument, and they finally said, oh, it turns out fetus is a human. Mm-hmm. But that's not what it was. It, ha- it was an entire religious conversion. They had to adopt a new set of first principles, right? Yeah. But you're trying to get them to adopt a new set of per- first principles. Well, at the same time, their current cultural malaise first principles mm-hmm. haven't gone away. So there was two questions Oh, there. shut up. Uh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> that worked out. That was Damn good. It. I gotta stop doing that. I gotta stop yeah. doing it. People are gonna be like, "Stop it!" But I do have to figure out how to get the mm. masturbation chimes. So we had a guy on the show who was talking about how to help men break free of addiction to masturbation, mm-hmm. and I don't think he meant to. Everett Fritz. It's a wonderful book that he wrote. Everett huh. Fritz. He's no. a, he's a former focus dude. Um, yeah, but. He said masturbation so many times that I put these little chimes <laughs> underneath every time he would say it. Sort of like when Christopher West said genitals on yeah. one of my shows, I put the, <laughs> these chimes or these little tinkling bells. <laughs> tinkling bells, I could use a better term. But uh, yeah. And someone emailed me the very next day and it's like, dude, I am in Italy. The chimes you use for the masturbation joke oh, no. is the chimes for on arriving trains. <gasps> so I'm sitting there and I'm literally listening to the podcast. And I'm hearing the chimes in the train oh, this station. This is my stop. <laughs> this oh, no, wait. Dude, this is my stop. <laughs> this is my stop. I mean, I should stop. I mean, I should It's stop. a mortal sin. <laughs> so, anywho. Anywho. So, you that know what I mean? Hilarious. Like, okay. So, let's. how do we deal with this? How do how do you not get snapped back to, you know, the hook of, of our culture? Well, that's a, that's a long question there. I no, mean, it's a short a one. Oh, how okay. do you oh. not get snapped back Oopsie. to the hook of our culture? What, so I, I would just I'll, I'll first respond by talking about the students. I mean, the way that my my pedagogy changed yeah. was was to think I'm going to save these kids. Right. I'm going to I'm going to give them the right things to read. By giving them the right things to read, they're going to see. Uh, you know, the, I love that that Hamby line from you know whoever sees the most wins. You know, in terms yeah. of reality. So it's, as soon as they yeah. see reality or or see these things uh, unveiled, then they'll they'll uh, have this yeah. conversion, right? And I don't necessarily mean religious conversion. It could just mean, like, you know, philosophic conversion. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, you come to – I have come to realize very, uh, very quickly, uh, I was put in my place, that that's really not feasible. In, in terms of teaching, the only thing I, – I, I remember reading this in, um, in St. Augustine where – I think it's in the City of God – um, or it's in his commentary on John. I but I no one cares. And yeah, I know. I'm just <laughs> I'm trying to be impressive. I, I know. Hope, is it working? Nope. Dang it. 
I know. Um, well, people that Sad are listening, <laughs> play those chimes or whatever. <laughs> um, but he, he he basically he makes this point where he says, you know, receiving the sacraments doesn't guarantee salvation. It simply gives the conditions whereby the capacity is actual can be actualized. Mm. He probably doesn't use as many terms as I did, but <laughs> it, it's a it's a very uh, striking line for for me, and it, but it connected not only to my faith but also just to this pedagogy of the only thing that I can really do is give them these great texts to read and facilitate the kinds of you know through the lecture um, through the questions and their essay prompts right is get them to think about these things in ways in which I know that they haven't mm-hmm. and don't give them you know long you know essay prompts you give them short succinct things you make the reflection very um, very palatable and tangible for them and and so then everything over time becomes about uh, you mentioned the education of desire so what you're trying to do is get them even if it's just uh, to stop doing things because they're bad, right? Reading something from Cal Newport uh, or, or or Neil Postman on on technology and and that stuff like that is where you find a lot of resonating mm-hmm. response. Like, yeah. oh wow! After I read this from Neil Postman, I was he was he was talking he was describing me. Yeah, and and so it's that of by reading that it's you know um, conversion by reading. That's kind of my approach because that's, again, that's the context of the class. I'm giving you text to read. There's lectures. You know, it, it's it's unlikely that you hearing me lecture as you get to hear my voice all the time, that that's going to lead it's to a painful. kind of, yeah, yeah. It's probably going to lead more to despair. Right. Uh, no, hope for, no hope for hearing the truth. Why did Matt Frad mm-hmm. then text me today? Yeah, that's a great question. You to be to narrate more papal encyclicals for Pints with Aquinas because he loved the 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 awkward that's distinction right. between tyranny and tyranny yeah. that I would say in yeah. in recording the De Regno. People, you got to understand. So he recorded Saint <laughs> Thomas Aquinas's famous De Regno. It's not famous. A lot of people don't know about it. Infamous. It's in dun, famous. That's true. And so I. Uh, I edited it. I told Brian, if you record it, I'll edit it. And Brian's like, well, I'll share some of the money with you. And I was like, great, it'll be fine. Just record, and if you mess up, just restart over at the beginning of the sentence or pick apart and just... Number one, Brian paused every three or four words, which meant every three or four words, I had to trim about three seconds of audio. And then three seconds, what's three seconds? Three seconds over 45 minutes. Every three seconds. That's it's a, a damn lifetime. It's a damn lifetime. My voice cracked. Too. Certainly felt like it. Yeah. And then on top of that, mm-hmm. you in, you meant to say tyranny, mm-hmm. but you said tyrant. <laughs> and then I would you meant alternate. to say tyrant, <laughs> right. but, you, but you said tyranny. Tyranny. So we have tyrants and <laughs> tyranny. Instead of tyrants and tyranny. What an absolute S show. And I went through it and I was like, should I dub my voice in there? Tyranny. <laughs> and inside the practice of the the tyrant. Is that what I sound like? Yeah, pretty much. Mm. Um, I just find it so fascinating that here we are, like, we're all swimming in the same cultural soup. Mm. And we can't deny that, which is why deconstruction and de... Um, 
yeah, deconstructing our discipleship, like why this is so popular and why it's so easy just to lose your faith all of a sudden and you snap back into the cultural progressive, blah, blah, blah. It's easy to do that for people because they have these whatever lights on moments, but they're all being fed. We're all being fed this stuff all the time. Um, it's like the there was a political philosophy piece on uh, the unwritten constitution. I can't remember who wrote that. You sent that to me a while ago. Might have been Hanby. Might have been old been. old Hanby. But old it was Hanby. basically like, why is it that when we elect a, a conservative or you know they appoint a conservative Supreme Court justice, mm. they all of a sudden start oh, becoming liberal? Oh no, that was Adrian Vermeil. Vermeil. Yeah, 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 yeah. And he he said, well, there's this unwritten constitution. There is the cultural assumptions, right? You are applauded for being progressive. You're not applauded for sticking to your guns and being mm. conservative, in, in some cases literally sticking to your guns. Mm-hmm. Um, but you have this whole thing where it's like, but why is it so easy to do that? And there's, I, like, I feel like I have to be defensive about everything. Like, even if I want to have a spiritual life, there's this cultural morass. So it's just everywhere. Right. It's just ev- I don't have a point with that. It's just everywhere. Let's talk about more liturgical abuses. Here we are. What was the first one? What was the first one? Adding a thousand EMHCs? Yeah. What would be the second one? The EMHCs blessing people who are coming up with their arms crossed? Yeah. And I mean, that, that one's a tough one because... No, it's un- not. No, but I mean, until... <laughs> so textually, I mean, yeah. you don't even have a document that says anything about EMHC's blessing yeah. until 2007, the Congregation for Divine Worship and Discipline of the Sacraments. And what does it say? And it says, it gives a, it, it responds to a, the, the, <laughs> the, the inquiry is, can extraordinary ministers of Holy Communion bless people that do not receive Holy Communion? And <clears throat> they, they, I don't remember the number of points, there were four or five basic points, uh, the the one was the simple answer was no, because a lay person in the context of the sacred liturgy has no capacity for blessing. Yeah, um, and so it was even saying so. So again, here too, the the second part of this is the physical touch mm-hmm. of. So even if you if you touch someone, like a lot of people will put the hand on the right, shoulder, right, top of the head, right. right. This is a because we are a a, a uh, incarnational church. That means something. Mm-hmm. So that that you why you might say, "Oh no, I didn't bless him," you know, with the the trinitarian fingers, you know. <laughs> but you are doing a gesture. You're doing a gesture that creates and fosters expectations of I'm going to get something when I come forward, and if even if they're not going to tell me God bless you by touching me in that way, they're actually signaling something, and, that, and that's what again that's what the document says is that. The physical touch part actually indicates a kind of vestige of like a blessing. So not to even do that. What if they come forward and you just kiss them right on the lips? Because um, in, in my defense, in the mass, they have already done the sign of peace, which right. is the kiss of peace. Why can't I give them a kiss of peace when they come? Just a little. Yeah, I mean, it. you know. You, Are your arms crossed? <clears throat> they would probably look. For you again I know. next Sunday. Wow, Gormley's line is really Whoa, long for communion. Look, look at that. Everybody left the center lines, went to the left transept. Yeah. Where Gormley The is. far left. And transept. nobody's actually receiving communion. Everyone's <laughs> coming forward with their arms crossed. What is going on? Oh, man. Are yeah, they but, giving him a $5 bill afterward? <laughs> we Kids have so booth. many consecrated hosts. We haven't we, used the hosts in, in a month. <laughs> There's just one line, and, and it's Gormley's. <laughs> oh, that's good. Um, 
So, I mean, the, the, the funny thing about that is, in one respect, it, it was an abuse, but it was, there was no way to say, well, how do you know? Well, I mean, why, so why can't I do this? Mm-hmm. And yeah, so, out of Christian charity. I have right. baptismal exactly. priesthood. So, again, that goes back to the, the main, the, the main yeah. principle here that's operative in this is those kinds of things are conceivable. Now, uh, it's interesting because with respect to that, in some dioceses, like, for example, Archdiocese of Portland— Mm. Um, Archbishop Sample um, has given a directive that no one, no no ordinary or extraordinary minister can bless. Um, so not even a priest or a deacon. Which wow. in in theory you would say, well they they in they can yeah. because a priest or and deacon. that's a common thing. Like oh I'm I'm a really traditionalist Catholic. I only get my Eucharist from the hands of a consecrated right. priest. Right now, okay, whatever. But to get a blessing, like let's say you don't want to sit in the pew and feel like, well, I mortal sinned last night, but I still have to keep right. my obligations. So I'm going to go up and cross my arms, and mom's not going to get mad at me. Right? Not that I have a personal experience with this. But then you're like, I'm going to go to the deacon. <laughs> that or doesn't I'm gonna sound go to the personal priest. at all. No, it's no. not. I don't know why you would even insinuate. You no, know, no, I'm, I'm not. I'm going to have to ask you to leave. No. <laughs> <laughs> Too awesome. I love this device. This um, is great. Yeah. But so the the priest or deacon is in Portland diocese is not yep. is been explicitly told. You know, right. and why? Because right. get and the so the, the, the third end. point of the document is that um right, that there is everyone is blessed in the final blessing at the end of Mass. So everybody receives a blessing. So what uh what what are you supposed to do? You're just supposed to get just stay in the pew, pray? Like a chump, do a spiritual uh, communion. You mean if you're someone that's not going to receive holy yeah. communion? Well, I think so. That so again, that what's the the challenge is? It's probably the case that in your average parish, it's probably the case that there is a tradition where this has been done, where it's been going yeah. on for a while, and and most people would probably say clergy and laity alike. Is it really that big of a deal? In terms of, you know, you're you're fostering a particular kind of expectation, which, yeah. you know, again, when they come forward and they don't receive, it should be a, a pain. It should be something that is experienced as both a loss but a longing. But if it's yeah. this sort of nice thing, like, oh, I got a blessing when I go forward, as soon as you try to rein it in or stop it, that's the typical response. Yeah. Well, people are expecting something. So what am I going to give to them? And so what am I, if, if I don't give them something, it's a lack of charity. Mm-hmm. And instead of, instead of you know, saying, well, wh- why do we have to make it this experience? Yeah. Right? Like I need to be looking at them in the eyes in this intimate way, and when they're looking at me, they need to be moved by the way that I'm holding the sacred host. So this is so important. That drives me insane. Because when I, I dabbled in a little EMH scene when I was younger, mm-hmm. and I felt like if I if they don't understand that this is the most important moment of their Sunday, <clears throat> right. the most important moment of their life is to receive Holy Communion, by the way I hold the Eucharist, by the way I say by mm-hmm. Elva, and everyone has their own yeah. flair, idiosyncrasy, right? Like you have the people who elevate the host over their head even mm. and you know i'm talking yes. about it in our church yep. and it's like the body of christ mm-hmm. you know and you're like whoa shakespeare why don't you settle down there bill mm-hmm. um was that regis martin yeah oh i knew it. okay it sounded yeah. okay it was, yeah that- <laughs> yeah no it was that and it's so silly like but beforehand i used to think 
Well, I have to do that. They have to know this is important to me, and I have to communicate to them through my added gestures and eye contact and, mm-hmm. you know, what, a hand on the arm or a little cross on the forehead yep. or whatever. Like, I'm here for you. You know, this is important. We're special. Right. You're special to me. Right. That's not the Catholic liturgy. Right. And, but but we've made it that because we've adopted wholesale an evangelical Protestant non-sacramental worldview where faith is a subjective response to the gospel and that's it. And so worship is my subjective interior state in relation to things about God. Mm-hmm. And that's not – no one explicitly says that. Right. But we implicitly say that when we say things like, well, you know, I didn't really like the fact that the, you know, the EMHC didn't – you know, say a little prayer over me or give me a blessing. Right. Or, you know, I didn't really, the, that mass sucked. Why? Good. The music was lame. That mass sucked. Why? Oh, the preaching wasn't amazing. It's like, uh, I mean, I understand, like, you should have good preaching, good music. But at the same time, the mass itself didn't suck. It's just that it wasn't your preference or whatever. Right. And then we start preferencing everything to death. Mm-hmm. You know, then then it's the negative form of church shopping. I would right. make a distinction with Charles, uh, with Doctor um, Larry Chap when he thought church shop. Yeah, I thought that was so funny. Parish shop. Mm-hmm. I love his voice. He's like, sounds He's like, gotta, a, yeah, I don't, old man. Uh, yeah, I'm ah. trying to think what the what the ah, get, get off my lawn. Yeah. Oh, oh, it's Clint Eastwood. Clint Eastwood. Oh, that's Grant Torino. The best yeah. thing is watching Clint Eastwood and Grant Torino with closed captioning on, mm. because how it tries to capture the essence the of the different grumbles that he does. Oh, that's so awesome. <laughs> Get off my lawn. But anywho, he had that parish shop thing. But he yeah. was saying parish shop when your church is heretical and doesn't give a crap about good liturgy. You find a lot of conservative parishes who pride themselves on their orthodoxy. Right. Right. Who are loosey-goosey with the liturgy. Why? Well, they. it's one thing to defend the sacraments. It's another thing to study the liturgy. And I never studied the liturgy, mm-hmm. but I studied the heck out of the sacraments. Right. right. I could defend the Eucharist and baptism, biblically, historically, all that stuff. But when it came to the actual liturgy, I was like, no, I don't want to get into that. I don't want to get into liturgy wars. But one of the things that always shocked me was the moment you stop doing what the liturgy asks and you start adding things that are accommodating to our modern comforts, it begins to make it a thing that I invent. And then once you allow a little bit of that, you have opened the gateway to these or similar words. You've opened the gateway yeah. to a whole the, these gestures or similar things. So when I'm standing there with the ciborium mm-hmm. and the Eucharist in my hands and someone comes up and has their arms crossed, I know that I'm not allowed to give a blessing. I know I can't give a blessing. Mm-hmm. I know I'm not supposed to. But there was like two people that I gave. <laughs> I, was like, I just put my arm on their shoulder. I was like... The Lord is here with you now. Like I couldn't remember. What, is, what do you tell people to say? What do we say at our church? Uh, I mean, you could you could say you know, peace of Christ. It could be or you know, receive Christ in your heart. I mean, it could be something very simple. It, it's. Yeah. I mean, how do you encourage someone to make a spiritual communion just yeah. by those words? I mean, it, it it's yeah. without their foreknowledge of I'm coming forward and I'm going to make a spiritual communion. Whatever you say, yeah. Is uh, is whatever you say, even as beautiful as it might sound, it's it's not going. They're not going to go. Oh, I just made a spiritual communion because of what he said to me. It's like if you're coming forward to make a spiritual communion, or if you're thinking of that, you're either probably going to stay in your pew, or you're simply. It's a very moderate kind of thing, and I think yeah. that's the challenge. Is 
Uh, it was interesting. Somebody asked me um, the other day about uh, the sign of peace and, um, you know, knowing that what happened with COVID and it really didn't exist. And then it said, you know, everything else is like we're, we're like back to normal. I said, okay, but the sign of peace isn't. I said, well, what do you mean? I mean, people just give generally they give a kind of a wave. They yeah. don't. They, they don't look and kind of bow their yeah, heads. They smile. don't do what they used to. And and thank you, Jesus. Again, the idea there, so, yeah. right? So the idea of the if there is to be a sign of peace, it is to be something that is moderate, right? It's not to be this gargantuan thing. But but again, what what why does the context sort of foster that? Mm-hmm. And then why is it when it's gone, it feels like this tremendous loss? Like there's this, like you've mentioned, you know, there's this death that I'm experiencing because these things I've I've been educated and formed in, and now they're gone, and I desire them and I want them, and they seem to be so much a fundamental part of the mass and and maybe even some aspect of my faith, and so they're yeah. they're absent, and now I'm I'm. Yeah, the crazy thing that we were talking earlier about EMHCs or electors who no longer do some mass duty, mm-hmm. <laughs> duty, they feel like they're not a part of the mass or the church or the right. parish life. I remember one person saying that they stopped coming to mass, right? Yeah. And they were just like, ah, I'll watch it occasionally yeah. at home. And it's like, well, why aren't you here? I, I don't understand. It's like, well, it's like, no, no, not well. You were like an outstanding, always volunteering elector. Right. And now you realize like, oh... It's a thing you did. It's not something you received, right? right. It's, it's not something you contemplated. It's not something you prayed. Mm-hmm. It was you had a job, and that job made you feel important. And now yep. you don't have that job anymore. You no longer feel important. Therefore, you're going to take your ball and bat and glove and yep. go home. And that's not to dismiss that it came from a good place. It totally yep. did. Yep. But it was. It, but we need to say. But that was the wrong place because look at the fruit. The fruit was well. Obviously, they don't want me now. My favorite story is a young high school girl mm, who wanted yeah. to be a lector. And mm-hmm. what did she say to you? What, what was the phrase she came to you a little bit ago? Yeah, she said um, in summation that uh, she, while she enjoyed being a lector, she just had this this movement um, interiorly of, of wanting to just simply be present at Mass, not doing something, mm-hmm. uh, not active in this sort of overly externalized kind of way she just simply wanted to be present at mass and and be with our lord that was i mean that was pretty much a verbatim a verbatim quote from yeah. her and so it is it's a it provides a challenge when covid uh provided an, a very interesting you know sort of question and challenge which is well what ended up happening then was only deacons and instituted acolytes read and so again, if you are, if that ministry, you find out that half of them are illiterate. Yeah. Oh, dear who Lord. knew? Who? Oh knew? my goodness! We had the cue cards in the back, and <clears throat> they couldn't read. They couldn't. <laughs> <laughs> well, I already told you, I can't cut, read from this book right cut here. Cut the live stream feed. What? Cut the live stream. Feed. <laughs> Thank you for joining us. Yeah. Please go to now EWTN. Experience. <laughs> <laughs> now experiencing technical difficulties. <laughs> yeah, but but again, it. Um, if something like that is taken away, it, yeah. it, it's experienced as a pain, and, and it's and it's a very challenging thing. Kind of like this to, podcast episode. Yeah. Oh, it's painful. Yeah. It's painful. Um, but yeah, it's it's one of those things. It's 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 not easy to even have these kinds of conversations because yeah. the 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 presumption is this is how you get people to participate. 
This is how people who are unchurched or, um, uh, you know, who have fallen away from the faith, who maybe feel apathetic at liturgy. Well, what what should we do? Well, we need to get them doing something. We mm-hmm. need to get them active and kind of get the uh, yeah. uh, get the the sort of uh, spiritual juices flowing. If that's the right, that's the wrong. That's the wrong. Okay, whoopsie. Yeah. Can you edit that out? No. Nope. Okay, you'll just keep it's it there in. for life. Dang it! Ah. Wish I wouldn't have said that. I know. Um, but that's true. Like, because that advice works in a lot of ways. Right. Right. You say. You know, you got someone who is not like clinically depressed, but they're struggling. They're down in the dumps, right? And yeah. what do you do? Well, you got to get active. You got to go do something. You got to go. Right. You know, there's a great line of just like go serve someone, go love your neighbor, yeah. go serve the poor, right? Like get up and do something. The problem is when it comes to the liturgy, get up and go do something <laughs> is not good advice. It because right. it has to be like uh, fall on your knees and pray. Yeah, <laughs> contemplate something, right? <laughs> like that should be the thing because, right. but we don't know how to do that. Like that takes skill, effort, blah blah blah. Right. But passing out pamphlets, <laughs> ushering, right? Um, passing out pamphlets and bulletins, as they're known as, and <laughs> everywhere in the world. What pamphlets are we? Uh, <laughs> you know, just my band is playing. Uh, it's more of a flyer, like Jack or a Chicks. Hey everyone, Gomer here, and I want to take a moment to talk to you about a new sponsor to the show, Petrus Development Conference. This conference being held at the Naples Grand Resort in Naples, Florida, will have over 150 Catholic fundraising professionals from ministries small and large. Their primary audience is campus ministries, Catholic high schools, Catholic grade schools, Catholic dioceses, and yes, Catholic apostolates. They want you to invest in yourself and your career as well as your ministry's future. So come and build community with other Catholic fundraisers in a beautiful beach resort location. Fundraising is hard. So let the fine folks at the Petrus Development Conference give you the tools and the community to make it less hard and actually enjoyable and fulfilling. Take a walk on the sunny side of fundraising at the beach in Naples. And listen, I've done tons of these Catholic conferences, and I'm telling you, the ones at a resort on a beach is where you want to be. The Petrus Development Conference 2022 takes place on June 13th to the 15th. And if you sign up today and use the coupon code FOXES, you'll get 50 bucks off your registration. How awesome is that? So click the link in the show notes or head on over to PetrusDevelopment.com slash PDC22. Special thanks to Petrus Development for sponsoring this episode of Catching Foxes. Why are you Catholic? Why do you love Jesus? How did you how did you fall in love with Christ? Ooh, yeah. Um because I mean we can be academic all we want. Sure. And I think a lot of times when we talk about liturgy and we talk about fixing the problems of the yeah. church, we lose sight of Christ. We really do. It's mm-hmm. very easy to. Yeah, and I mean that's I think um there is part of the I think as we've talked about the kind of the exhausting nature of some of these wars yeah. and, and discussions is, wars and rumors of wars yeah, yeah. yeah um and um yeah so i mean my it's my my story is interesting i mean i i played football at the edinburgh university not in scotland um in erie pennsylvania <laughs> which is the scotland of america it, it really is it's kind of the american scotland, scotland. The, the highlands um, yeah it is and uh so yeah so i played football there uh for my first year it's a division two school it's actually right outside of erie pennsylvania blistering cold there what'd you uh, play what position i was uh cornerback okay um so I was there for a year, then started to, uh, there was a guy on, uh, the, actually the RA on my floor, 
was doing Bible study, and so he invited me to a Bible study. So mm. it kind of started my coming back to the was church. Was he Catholic? No, no. These guys were non-denominational. They just mm. read scripture, pray together. What would they read? <clears throat> like, were they planned out, scripted out? Was it like um, Bible roulette? A lot of Romans. I re- a lot of Romans. A lot of They're taking down the Roman road. Yeah, yeah. A lot of Romans and... And I mean, it was it was reading scripture, and then it kind of be it was kind of uh, I don't know what you would maybe the analog would be you know some kind of like breakout group you know, and you just talk about the particular sets of scriptures that were read and things you're struggling with and, mm. and all that, and so that kind of um, for me the thing because I was Catholic the background was I remember I went to the guy re- really good guy that led it, and I just said hey you know look I grew up Catholic. Um, and you know, this has really started to reignite my, my faith. And, um, and so I'm, I'm, I'm wondering how, why aren't you Catholic? You said that. Yeah. And I was just like, you know, I'm, I it was start, I was beginning to yeah. read things. Now, one of the interesting, the sort of the, the, the side caveat about all this is in a very strange way, how God, you know, writes with the, the, the crooked lines. I mean, Part of so I took a couple acting classes at Edinburgh because I was like, oh, I, I was like, you know, I don't know. Well, why I'm, I'm a self-important uh, dude. Yeah, I, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I've got a great voice. Uh, said that's Matt true. Frad only. Yeah. Um, no one else has ever said it. Um, not even my wife. Um, <laughs> I love these buttons. These are great. So are and um, and so I mean, I even at one point was in New York City visiting NYU. To go full time, to acting? go full time acting, and really, the, yes, and you know what? Uh, the I remember praying and saying, I, 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 there was a lot of confusion. Like this, I mean, part of this seems there seems something right about it, but not. Mm. Uh, they took us into the NYU library. It was about fifteen stories high, I've and there's there. plexiglass uh, almost the whole way up. Mm. And somebody asked, "Why is there all the plexiglass?" Well. Um, we've had to put these up because students during midterms and finals are just jumping off and just committing suicide. And I thought, wow, okay, Whoa. I don't think I want to go here. Um, How dark is yeah, that? Yeah, no, it was. And we were just like standing right in the center of the library, just looking right up. I don't remember. I don't remember a single thing about that trip at all except that. Wow. Uh, now, one of the the interesting things, the last part about the acting interest was as my as I was sort of going through this reversion, mm. um, Jim Caviezel, right, the guy that played Jesus. Yeah, um, I, I I just loved his movies. Really thought, it was, and then came to discover like, oh, he's not only religious, but he's actually a very devout Catholic, and he actually refuses to do like intimate sexual scenes because he's like, well, I'm a Catholic, I'm married. Why? I mean, that'd be right. No loophole. No, uh, right? Yeah, he's. Very, very prudish. Um, geez, <laughs> What's wrong with him? It seems almost Gnostic, like the body's bad kind of Ugh, thing. Gosh, yikes. open up. Yikes. You're not some prize. Sheesh. Um, and so that that really struck me. But then, it, it's a long story short, obviously never got into acting. Um, and thank God I didn't. Um, but it was the, the faith of Jim Caviezel inspired me. And that was my... That's so fascinating. Yeah, I don't know. I look back and I'm like, Jim Caviezel being Catholic. <laughs> you think, you know, somebody said, "Why would you? You're if you're a devout Catholic, why would you be in Hollywood?" And he doesn't know me. Yeah, and he'll never know me. Um, and so, but it's like that actually deeply 
affected me. And, hmm. um, and so, and then I met uh, a priest, uh, a good friend of mine from home uh, introduced me to a priest who became, eventually became my spiritual director. And around that same time, he, you know, he said to me, look, um, I'm not going to tell you what to do, but I can assure you, God does not want you to get into acting. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you what to and do. And then he finished that whole... sentence and he gave me St. Augustine's Confessions and he said, you need to just read this. Hmm. And so I read that and was... Ooh. You went into rhetoric. Yep. I became, a, yeah, I became a teacher. I became a rhetorician in Rome. Yeah. Um, just lived a crazy sex life mm-hmm. like Augustine. I mean, just yeah. wild, burning with the passions of lust. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was really just for the pasta. I mean, the, the pasta is so unbelievable. Good. So good. You I lusted mean, for the pasta. Oh, yeah. I did not care about women at all. Ugh. Um, and <laughs> yeah, don't I use lust it's, as an analogy? It's kind of a it's, it's kind analogy. of a loose term. <laughs> um, but yeah, that really fettuccine where... <laughs> and linguine. Yes, please. Uh, uh, seconds. <laughs> Scusi. Uh, Miss <laughs> Uh, but yeah, that's really where. Uh, and then, and then after going back home, finishing core classes at the community college where I grew up. Um, so you left Edinburgh. Yeah, sorry, l- left Edinburgh. Went back to the community. Why'd college Why did you leave Edinburgh? Uh, because Pulled a hammy. Uh, yeah, uh, no, stubbed the toe. It was my big toe, which is thick, and it hurt. <laughs> I couldn't be there. Um, hey, will you do me a favor and not play with the can? Oh, good because lord! Because it's going sorry. straight into that microphone. That 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 that. <laughs> The best part, I'm so happy I got these boom arms because you were banging on this. And, eh. and now you're selling it. You're um, selling it. <laughs> um, and a diffuser. <laughs> um, so why'd you leave Edinburgh? Uh, yeah, because uh, I realized that where I was going there was not where I was meant to be. And, you know, I, I initially went there for football. Yeah. And and that ended, but I but I had sort of committed myself already to going and I was like, well, you know, everything's kind of already set yeah. even though I'm not going to be playing anymore. So I'll just finish out the year and, yeah. you know, made some good, good lifelong friends that a couple of them actually I still have. So, um, but they're nothing compared to me. No, no, thank you. No, not even difference in kind. Mm. They're almost not human. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Like I almost can't be friends with them. Right. But and you probably shouldn't. <laughs> so I'm going to call them yeah. after this. Hey, guys. Um, I'm going to send you this podcast. If you go for about like the 27-minute mark, <laughs> yeah. you're going to hear not your name, but I'm definitely but definitely you. It's you. <laughs> um, so, and, uh, so anyway, went, went back and just was going to finish up my core. I really started getting into philosophy and theology. You know, again, was reading Augustine and then became very obsessed with the question of what church is the, the real church? Um, and it was fascinating what I was reading. You, I've told you this before, but I was reading Protestant literature, um, like the Catholicism is the whore of Babylon, that kind of stuff. Yeah. And and then I'm also simultaneously so just James White. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> and then my mom had found these like books from the library, and they were all ultra traditionalists, like. That it, like the church no longer exists after Vatican II. So I'm reading <laughs> these two things like simultaneously, and I'm just you know there, that that year was like a real existential crisis for me wow. because, um, you know because it wasn't like I I grew up Protestant. It was you know I I, I grew up Catholic, and so um, I was kind of being pulled in these two different directions. Now, of course, at the time, my, my good friend his his mom was. 
she was like my guardian angel. Mm. She was like my my local theologian and and spiritual director. So she was your local Scott Hahn. Uh no, she was actually my local Richard Rohr. <laughs> um, oh, the cosmic Christ! I know, just resonated. Yeah, yeah. She, uh, um, she was kind of like she was my Ed Skillebex. Oh gosh, <laughs> it's like three people are gonna get that. Yeah, I know. Um, and all three of them already know you. So. <laughs> yeah, it's three people. It's the three guys it's from Edinburgh. The, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> now we're not friends. Uh, um, but the so anyway. Uh, yeah, those th- though she, I would call her regularly, and just say I'm struggling with this, and I don't understand. Like I, I don't understand the church, or I don't understand why. Why are the why do the Protestants say this about the church? Yeah. Um, and then actually, you know, part of it too was uh, I started watching a lot of EWTN. Mm. So uh, my friend's mom was like, "Watch EWTN. A lot of great stuff." Really good catechetical and. There's this show that'll speak right to you. It's so relevant. It's called Life on the Rock. I want to live my life on the Rock. But that's actually. But I, you know, I, I was on Life on the Rock. I did know that. I, I had an email. Oh well, not that. Okay, okay, yes. But when I was in high school. Oh, were you in the audience? Uh, no, I had an email read. Oh. <laughs> by the girl, right. and I wrote Gomer. Yeah, and she goes, Gomer <laughs> writes. <laughs> I can't remember what the question was. So I was like, they did it. And I recorded it and everything. I uh, had, so I'm even more famous. You're I had, I called in to the journey home. And the Mar- journey the home? The journey With home Marcus Grodi? With Marcus Grodi. And I got to ask Scott Hahn a question. Oh, what was it? Um, I don't even remember. Oh, uh, it seems to me that you're... Uh, <laughs> How did you do? How did you get a triple major at Grove City College? That's incredible. (laughs) Not to toot your own horn, but you have been tooting your own horn this entire time. Yeah, Um, that's funny, man. Yeah, that's really funny. Yeah, Scott Hahn. Yeah, and and then of course, so watching. So again, what this was the early to mid two thousands. So I'm I'm seeing a lot of Scott Hahn. Right, and and I think anything Scott Hahn has written is is pretty much gold. So if you, if you if if you're struggling anywhere, and you pick up Scott Hahn, you know that was kind of in the heyday of the apologetics, right? Yeah. It, it really was. And, and late nineties, early two thousands. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, reading a lot of Scott Hahn, and then I was listening to, uh, of course, Life on the Rock or watching it. I, and again, I didn't know what it was. I wasn't drawn to it. I'm not trying. I'm, I'm trying to obviously say that. You know, my desires aren't disordered because just, I watched Life Up on the Rock. They're just differently ordered. They're just differently ordered. We're yeah. all... We're all... Don't even. No, okay. No. <laughs> uh, <yeah>, well, um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, and then Jason Everett was on there, you know, and he does all the chastity talks. And, and so it was actually interesting because um, at the... So similarly to Jim Caviezel, I was in a relationship with a girl in high school, early college, where... I was saying, look, I, I'm going, I'm having this reversion. Like I, I, I'm, I'm reading Augustine in some respects and this is me. And right. I don't want to, like, I don't know if we're going to be married, but I, I don't want to be intimate in any respect with you. Mm-hmm. And she said, okay, then it's over. Wow. Yeah. So, it, so listening to him 
Um, you know, and also the stuff with Jim Caviezel. And then, of course, he obviously talked yeah. a lot about Franciscan. And, of course, I'm from Cleveland, Ohio. And Franciscan in Steubenville, Ohio. I've never heard of it. Yeah, no one has. No. Yeah. And it was like even somebody from Ohio who's only two hours away. I don't even no. know what this is. And so, yeah, and then, long story short, ended up at, at Steubenville. But, yeah. Um, yeah, that was my, my faith was, I, I mean, similar, not comparable, but similar to, I would say, St. Augustine's intellectual first um, and then conversion of the heart. Yeah. It's funny because I had a similar situation where I had a girlfriend and she was cross-eyed uh, and we broke up because we just couldn't see eye to eye. <laughs> Plus she was seeing someone on the side. No one knows <laughs> that I was literally off to the side trying not to choke. You were about my, to spit all over my brain. I was going to ruin everything. <laughs> oh. That came from Jungle Cruise with Dwayne The Rock Johnson. He has like eight dad jokes oh, right out the gate. And then I just grabbed grief. my phone and I bought on Kindle a dad joke book. And I was just like, all right. Here we go. Here we go. For the rest you texted of tonight. that to mm-hmm. me. I did. 30 minutes before we got here <laughs> and I was dying. She, when he said she was also, she was seeing someone on the side. <laughs> I was like that. That's perfect. Oh, that is perfect. Goodness. Yeah. So, um, what would be the likelihood of a quick bathroom break? Could you just like talk to watch yours? this? Watch okay. this. And we're back. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Catching Foxes. I'm your co-host, Michael Gormley, and I'm here with a Luke Gregory Carey stand-in, Brian Jones. Ladies and gentlemen, round of applause for Brian Jones. <laughs> oh, shit, that's not the applause Oopsie. button. Whoa, uh, uh. Can I ask? Have you ever had someone... Uh, Mike, you <laughs> can't hear me. Have Sorry. you ever had someone on twice? I've had many people on twice. Damn it. I've had Matt Fratt on like four times. Oh. I've had uh, Christopher West on twice. <clears throat> oh, mistake! I've had. Just kidding. He was awesome. Um, who else have we had on twice? We've had uh, no Father Mike was just once. I think. Do you feel there's any kind of uh, competition? I mean, you just had Chris Miller on. Now I'm on. Yeah. So the funny thing is, <clears throat> it is hard for me to distinguish your voice from Chris Miller's voice. Oh yeah. That's on right. occasion in my voicemails, <laughs> I'll be listening to it and be like, "Oh, that's Brian. That's right." Chris. Chris. Dad. You don't Shannon. Oh my. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> it's it is that funny is because yeah. No. What I wanted to do, I want to talk about liturgy, but I don't know how to talk about it in a way that gets people like excited about liturgy. Like mm-hmm. I love talking about. Well, okay. So that's not entirely true. Right. But my my like, <clears throat> I want to be able to talk about why the church is in such a shitty position when it comes to liturgy. And I feel like it's it's all these other things other than just the Novus Ordo Mass. I think there is historically a problem with the Novus Ordo itself. Mm-hmm. I think there is a – I don't think it's invalid or anything weird like that. But there really were multiple forces at Vatican II who all had their own agendas. You don't even have to get conspiracy theorists. They just had their own agendas, and a lot of them were fueled by a profound enthusiasm. And I, I think I understand it. Um, Dr. Larry Chap, I think, maybe in an article recently, was talking about uh, – you, you would know this because you said it, uh, told me to read it, and I still haven't read it. But he has these two or three articles on the synod on synodality mm-hmm. and ecclesial power. And he has some French phrase that he used about bureaucracy – 
Like it's it's a it's a it's a bureaucracy is a self-aggrandizing thing. So let's mm-hmm. say you you go to the Vatican and you're a layperson, you're you belong to some dicastery, like you're on the Pontifical Council for the um, New Evangelization. You go mm-hmm. there, super pumped. Well, you need to prove your worth. And so you're going to create an initiative. You're going to do things. You're gonna, you know what the church really needs? You're all idealistic. But what it becomes is a bureaucratic top-down thing that mm. no one's going to do. Right. right. And that's what I feel like you look at the USCCB. You look at the Vatican. You look at these things. And I don't mean in what they are in the hierarchy. I mean in what they've become with the bureaucracy. Like I think it's great that the local bishops get together. I think that's wonderful. I think they should get together. I like the fact that there's a a formal apparatus wherein they get together to talk about this stuff. Mm -hmm. I also find that it creates jobs that don't need to be had. It creates a Mm -hmm. bureaucracy that doesn't need to be there. And if push comes to shove and you had to get rid – like you had to get rid of the majority of these bureaucracies, Mm -hmm. I don't think an average Catholic's life would change at all. No. Like, oh, yeah. The USCCB is gone. It was disbanded, and no one's going to show up to any of their plenary sessions or something. Okay, can I still go to mass with my priest? I can. Okay, okay, yeah. okay. Right. You know, like it's not going to. It's but there are things that have damaged the liturgy in America through the mm-hmm. USCCB. Right, you can't you can't ignore that. But um, here's my favorite thing about our friendship. So me, you, Father David, mm-hmm. we've been friends. You know, prior to his being ordained. After you guys really became friends after his ordination, right? Like shortly therein, or uh, while I think I f- actually I first met him at your house uh, sometime in summer of 2019. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I thought yeah. it was. I thought you knew him before no, that. I, yeah, summer. It was like summer or fall of 2019. Yeah. I did. I did not. Mm. I, I didn't know him until until yeah. I met him. Too. So he's interesting because for both him and my wife, or me and my wife, we've known him since college. But mm. my wife and him have a friendship independent of me right. and with me. Right. So that's funny. Like, it's a funny yeah, thing because yeah. they live right next door to each other in an apartment complex. I would crash at his place but hang out with her because he's kind mm. of boring. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But uh, we would, me and my wife were watching 24 and he didn't like 24. So we would buy tubs of pre-made food from Kroger. Tubs, uh, and then we would eat that for lunch and dinner, and we would just watch Twenty Four from be- go to Blockbuster Video and rent the DVDs. Doesn't exist anymore. It's no, in, it There's one in Alaska, I think. It's an uh, it's an ends mentis. Don't even don't Sorry. even with you. Don't do okay. God. Sorry, uh, I, I am getting my PhD, <laughs> good sir. In it's no longer Alaska. an ends reale. <laughs> it's about to be an ends of this podcast. Uh. <laughs> But no, like the crazy vitriol of the the angry beige lost middle, like now you're taking away my on eagle's wings. How dare you? You're taking away my blessing. You're taking yeah. away my hand holding during the art fall. You're taking away. I'm gonna kill you all. Right? Like you're like whoa, whoa. Right. To me, of all things, that's what I'm most interested in. I'm most interested. Like, how did we get here? Like, if I sit down with you and I tell you, like, this is what the Lord Jesus through His Holy Mother Church has asked of us. They'd be like, uh, F that. Like, they would, like, literally, I don't, I don't give a crap about that. I had one of the holiest men I ever knew say, if this is true, and I've never heard him raise his voice, and he just screamed, that the church is wrong, and it was about stupid stuff. Yeah. And I just remember seeing that and just being like, whoa, did you just hear yourself? Mm-hmm. So how did we get here? How did we? How does it get this bad? How does... I want to talk about liturgical historicism. Okay. 
You son of a bitch. <laughs> I'll introduce it. <laughs> All day. I'm going to hit it till I find the one I wanted. Yeah. Let's talk about that. So you got Vatican II. Mm-hmm. You got the excitement around the liturgical movement. Yeah. And you have this call for reform in an age of rebellion. Mm-hmm. And then you have these priests and bishops and theologians who are excited about engaging the world that they realized in the 30s, 40s, and 50s that the church had abandoned or the world had abandoned the church. Mm-hmm. So now we're going we're gonna to have this pastoral council and we're going to go and we're going to. We're going to go out to the world. We're not going to be a fortress hiding from modernity. We're going to go out and we're going to conquer the world, right? Yep. And that's exactly what happened, and that's why every country in Europe is now 100% Roman Catholic. (laughs) Ah, 96.3. Muslim immigrants, be welcome. (laughs) Yeah, I I mean, there's a lot of nuance with it, which we tend to... Nuance is boring. Yeah, I know. Well, I, I mean, in one respect, you could think of the the you have the two maybe pillars, right? You have the one end, which is you know Vatican II is the cause of mm-hmm. um, singular, right? It is the the singular. What what is the crisis in the church? It's Vatican II, mm-hmm. uh, and the other end of the spectrum would be Vatican II saved the church. Yeah, right. Um, the church was on the brink of death and the council saved the church. Hmm. Um, And so, you know, again, from, from, from my perspective, it it seems like the, the challenge is that how do you, you know, the council means what it means primarily the documents. Right. But, um, Generally speaking, I mean, this is certainly more so, this is certainly the case in the Eastern Church. But, I I mean, I think at least in the Western world of the Catholic Church, um, documents are not a thing, (laughs) right? Um, So how do you have... So It's funny to say that Vatican II is the documents. Yeah. It's the four constitutions. Yeah. It's the ad intra and ad extra. Yeah, yeah. and I, I don't mean to say it's only the le- you know Vatican II's only the letter. Yeah. Um, but it it's to say like well, the writing of the documents is meant to be seen as by reading these, you will come to understand the spirit, mm-hmm. and it is then it is through that that renewal and 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 reform yeah. can actually occur but uh i mean yeah, think, in the following of the, in, yes, in understanding yes. and understanding doing yeah, them, implementing right? it yeah right implementing it. but i mean it sounds that sounds nice but i think when you look at it even in retrospect i mean even the papacies of of john paul ii and benedict the 16th which i think particularly john paul ii i mean redemptor hominus lays out yeah. right what his papacy is which fundamentally includes uh, the proper implementation yeah. of Vatican II. Okay, well, uh, I mean, while he references the council, I, I I don't necessarily think it's the case that either him or Benedict are saying what I'm doing is caused by the council, right? Mm-hmm. I, I, I mean, I think even historically, I, I th- probably something where it may possibly be the case where you could say maybe, 
that a council had some significant effect, right, would be Trent. Okay. I mean, you get like the reform of the seminaries with St. Charles Borromeo, you, you, you know, the Jesuits and right. You, you get these, you get a counter reformation response, which certainly Trent is a part of, I don't, I'm not Mm -hmm. saying it's not, um, but what the, you know, I, I think I think the second thing that I said of like Vatican II saved the church. I mean that I'm, I'm not I'm not even talking about Vatican II. That really has never applied to any of the previous 21 ecumenical councils. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think you're trying to say something um, that's not even true of what preceded it, right? And so if that's the case, and then you say, when Vatican II saved the church, none of the other councils did, you're actually making even more of an exaggerated claim. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that, yeah, it, it's kind of like we, we all generally seem to know those that, you know, actually read the documents of the council, what the documents say, and then what came to be, generally speaking, are not the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um. So, but th- that's what's interested me is the count. the The documents are kind of like here is where the spirit is, right? Um, so we need to read the documents, but the documents aren't being read. And by the time you know nineteen sixty four or nineteen sixty five comes around, right? What's happening? Just you now we're, we're only talking liturgy, right? What what already is happening liturgically? And the concilium that's initiated in 1964 to implement Sacrosanctum Concilium, which is the constitution on the sacred liturgy, you, you, you all—I mean, it's it's gone. It, mm-hmm. the, the 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 document Sacrosanctum Concilium as a document is rendered ineffective, probably within a couple years. Yeah, but maybe if I'm being more pessimistic, I'd say by the time the the concilium is created. What's the concilium? The concilium was the, this sort of commission um, formed by Pope Paul VI and headed by um, Annabel Bugnini. 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 He's from Bulgaria. No. Um, Annabel Bugnini. Bugnini was funny because Dr. Larry Chap mentioned him in that episode mm. where he's like, you know, it was somewhat hijacked by a, a fairly manipulative yeah. person. Uh, Bugnini from friends who know more than I do, and then he's like, "No, nah, I'm not going to get into the speculation." But he was a free, but he might have been a Freemason. But I'm not. I'm just saying. I, I don't know. I'm speculating. <laughs> yeah, I, but I, it again, even without saying any of those things about speculations yeah. or you know conspiracy. So theories. the Concilium comes out after Sacrosanctum Concilium. Mm-hmm. Yes, right? initiated and it's formed in 1964. And the document came out in 62? The first, the first the document, yep. yeah, 1962 is the yeah, first so, document. Someone's like, what is the, you know, like Lumagentium, Light of the Nations, right? All the Gaudium et Spes, Join the Hope. And it's like, uh, Sacrosanctum Concilium. What, what does that mean? This Holy Council. Yeah. It's like, well, what does that have to do with the liturgy? It's like, it doesn't. It's the first two words in Latin. Yeah. And the first <laughs> phrase is basically this Holy Council, you know, now wishes a treat on the liturgy. Yep. You're like, oh, okay. Yeah, that's right. So you always remember that I, with my Vatican II class. It was the first document that came out from the Council because it literally says this Holy Council or Sacrosanct Council. That's right. That's right. Yeah, so... That's uh, a stupid comment for me. I apologize. It's beautiful. I know. No, no, no. I, all I just, The tangents all... They, I'm just filled with self-doubt. I'm sorry. All the tangents that we have are like the different grooves up the mountain. Mm-hmm. And they all end in God. Mm. So, listen, if God didn't like tangents, why did he make so many colors? 
Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what all the other plot. Yeah, no, it, it fits. It fits. Mm, thank you. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's. I, I think it's that like the 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 reform of the liturgy, since that's what we're talking about. I mean, if it, if it's going to come through, and or it's it's at least grounded in the main text of the council. Um, by the time the concilium is created, um, you already are moving in a direction that is, um, it, it's it's what I would it, what I called uh, it's a paradigm shift, right? Yeah, it's, it's, it's an entirely novel, innovative, yep, banal. Liturgy and and it's and fl- those three words come from Pope Paul the Sixth. Yes, well, and and the 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 quote that we looked at together, the one from his nineteen sixty nine, yeah, uh, Paul the Sixth nineteen sixty nine um, speech in, in November of sixty nine, right before uh, a few weeks before the new missile. the Nova Sorda yep. went live in Italy yep. first at Advent, and, and he basically said that, that so we, we could say you know what what are three main things that distinguish you know the old liturgy and the new you'd say Latin mass parts chant and ad orientum posture yeah right the priest and everyone facing you know the Lord facing the tabernacle yeah. Um, some of you that don't know what that means, we'd say the priest had his back to you. Um, <laughs> we'll use your parlance. Um, but but he, he sa- so he talks about those three specific things. Mm-hmm. And he says, yeah, those things are changing. And they're part of the tradition. And they are what the Roman Rite liturgy is. And they're going to be gone, and it's going to be sad. Yeah. I mean, Paul, Paul VI, for like 10 paragraphs, yeah. praises... Out the wazoo, all of the stuff of the of the mass that everyone up until you know that time knew as just the mass, right? The traditional Latin mass, right? And he's praising all of these things. I mean, he goes on for like three paragraphs on how sublime yeah. Latin is, and then he's like, "And it's all going bye bye." Yep. And you're going to be sad. Some of you are going to, there's going to be confusion. Yep. You know, you're fresh. going to be attached to it, and you're going to still want it, but it's. Remember, it's going away. Especially those who are particularly devout or right. something like that. Yep. And you're like, huh. Yep. And then he says, he even uses the word banal. Like, yeah. it's it's going to be new and new and shitty, right? Which is my interpretation of banal. It was, the Ita- um, it was the, in the uh, Italian. No, and see. No. No, no, scusi. No, scusi. Uh, but he says this, and then he says, but there's one reason why it's all worked. Because it's going to help us evangelize. Yep. Right, it's going to help form the apostolate going forward, right. so that modern man can receive a simpler language, hear his own language, and in simpler terms, and receive. And and here's the other, not not that it's about the people's wishes or desires, um, but it is interesting that the fast forward to now, it's it's. So easy again. We, what we talked about earlier with the happiness thing. It's so easy to simply presume that everybody, your average Catholic, hated yeah. the Latin, the 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 old right. Yeah, and and so it's just presumed that. And, and sure, there's stories that people yeah. might say, "No, hey, look, I grew up in it. This is this, this is terrible. Is, it was this is why it was bad." Oh, okay. Yeah, uh, I you, I could. Pull some. I, I could tell you a story of the person who's. I can. I can grab one person and say why the current, 
you yeah. know, expression of the Roman right isn't good. So so now we've canceled each other out. Yeah. Right? One complaint versus one complaint where we've netted zero. So <laughs> uh so yeah, so it's the presumption it it's difficult for us to sort of per, per, perceive yeah. that this was something that was uh, that the old right or whatever you want to call it the, the should we call it the usus antiquor? Should oh yeah, it? I think okay. yeah. Most people would get that. Um, yeah, but that the, you know, that the traditional Latin mass was something that generally people, um, you know, wanted, were, were at least fine with, right? Mm-hmm. This is, you know, Evelyn Waugh has a great reflection on the liturgy, um, after the council. And that's basically his point is like, nobody pulled, n- nobody, you know, asked me if I wanted this to change. <laughs> it was just foisted upon me. Yeah. Um, as if, as as if uh, it was, it was sort. So the challenge there was the analog that was happening culturally, right? It was like kind of this, um, you know, this sort of end of history type of perspective, right? This progress, right? We're moving away from. Oh, there's a there's a gnat, a gnat <laughs> or a piece of fuzz from one of us. <laughs> um, but yeah, this idea that we're you know we're uh, we're a modern peoples, right? Even Paul the Sixth, I mean, he talks about this that this liturgy is not only for evangelizing, but it is also a liturgy for a modern people, yeah, right. And and so there's this kind of the, the term you mentioned. There's this kind of this historicism, right? There's that um, things are are true, um, not in a universal sense, but only in a contingent sense as yeah. they. Um, relate to people of a particular time or a particular age or civilization. So it's sort of this, there isn't this universal transcendent notion of the traditional Latin mass. It's it, it, sure. Maybe it fit and of people and it was good for them in this time, but it isn't now. Mm. Um, and so, you know, again, whatever you want to do with the documents uh, or whatever you want to say about the documents and compare and and bring together sacrosanctum concilium and all the post conciliar documents that thing the liturgical historicism is not something that is simply overcome by or healed doc- by yeah. reading those documents right i mean you're talking about a a deep psychological and psychic shift that has happened within all of us we're all in many respects i would say liturgical historicists yeah um in in some real way, so I think it's the that that is the the thing, and you know, the documents again, they're good, and you can read them, but they take you to a point at which you can't go any further. What? How would you define liturgical historicism in in like a one sentence thing? Like, you know, for the average person sitting there, like, okay, what is he talking about? Like, mm-hmm. is he? Would you say that each era has a way of understanding liturgy that only matters to them, cut off from the era before? So, I, so generally, so I, I'm, what I'll say is the 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 new missal has set the conditions whereby liturgical historicism seems um, to be the default position, mm-hmm. and by by so. Generally, when I say historicism, it's coming from Leo Strauss. All of your listeners know who that is. He's uh, the guy that makes the jeans. Yes, exactly. It's beautiful. Oh, wait, that's his brother Levi. That's <laughs> Dang it. Both biblical, but just, yeah, it's yeah. okay. 
um, so the historicism is again the idea is that there there is no such thing as a as something that's universally true or universally good or or universally beautiful. It's everything that's true is only historically contingent. So we we could probably quickly think of like moral absolutes, right? Mm-hmm. There are no such thing as moral absolutes. Morality is just a contingent thing based upon you know that's that's um, only proper to a particular age or culture but there you know it's not something that's universally true just yeah. because it's uh relates to human nature so i would say liturgical historicism is we we tend i think just drawing from those those points that paul the sixth mentioned like something like latin or or ad orientum or chant right we 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 it's so easy for us to to say if we saw those things we'd say well, why would we do that yeah and if you say, well, you know, the, it's part of the, you know, the tradition of the church. Okay, well, that's fine if they did it then, but why would we do that now? Yeah, the number one complaint when our priests <clears throat> began chanting the the Eucharistic prayers was, what is this, the 1500s? Yeah. What are we going back to the the 1950s? Yeah, it was, it was, but they it would was, say like 1500s, like yeah. a lot. Like I had a couple yeah, emails yeah. No, from no, people like, yeah. just explain this to me. Like, Why are we going back to the 1500s? Yeah, I'm usually like, I would hear like the 40 or the 50s, but then mm. it was yeah, wow. I would I wanted someone to say, wait, why are we going back to like the 650s? <laughs> like this, I wanted someone to say something so bizarre. What, what is this? The 480s in Gaul? <laughs> <laughs> Goodness gracious. Where's the Delazian sacramentary? I mean, am I right? <laughs> I hate you so much. I know you do. Uh, but, but. <laughs> I forgot I had that one. Yeah, it's okay. But again, it's, it's the, and, and that's the other part with the council too, that I think we quickly, uh, or maybe we, we tend to overlook is it, it the, the parallel cultural shift that that occurred as well you know yeah. the, 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 i think it's right to say that the shift happened both internal to the church but also it happened culturally as well yeah um and so yeah the, these things are not again my my perspective here is the the documents are are something we should be reading they're good because they're church documents they're from an ecumenical council but um what's their um what power do they have in terms of renewal for people who are are uh, they're not a a people of documents? Mm-hmm. How so? How do we work with that? And you can say, well, uh, it's kind of like the the discussion we had earlier about teaching, right? Um, how do you make Aristotle palatable to people that don't read Aristotle? Yeah, uh, there's something to that. I mean, it's, I'm not saying, well, look, because you don't read Aristotle, you don't read Matthew Crawford. Um, we're gonna we're not gonna read anything. Yeah. No, you still expose them to it, but there's that setting is is much different, right? It's it's much more it's much smaller scale. It's not global, mm-hmm. right? I've got fifteen to twenty students. I can work with them. I can have uh, you know in depth conversations with them, and I can ch- draw out their um, you know their their worldview and get get them to see those things. But it, it doesn't. I mean, it's not gonna, how's that going to work in the church? Um, except. Yeah. It, it it can happen, but I think the reality is it's going to be very small. It, it won't it won't become normative, mm. you know. And so when you look at a parish, you know, for example, that has let's say the ordinary and the extraordinary form together, what's really happening with the ordinary form? It's being infused by it looks like the Latin Mass, mm. right? Even though it's vernacular, but 
it's chant. Um, you know, there's still some Latin mass parts. You might even get the creed sung in Latin, right? So you have the ordinary parts of the mass can likely be in Latin. Yep. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, so it looks very much like the traditional Latin mass, even though. So, I mean, again, that's possible. But what it takes for it to look like that requires a particular and very unique set of conditions, which really do not exist. A particular, particular set, set of skills. skills. We're the same. Mm, damn it. Yep. Why don't they exist? Why doesn't what exist? The particular set of <laughs> circumstances. So here's the thing that drives me insane. So when I the standard line about Catholic liturgy is, you know what, if we just went back to Vatican II and actually did what the council said, this would all be better. And I agree with that, but no one's doing that. Right? No one's doing that, and no one's been doing that, and we have to get over the mm-hmm. fact that no one's been doing that except for Pope John Paul. Right? Pope John Paul freaking loved Vatican II. Right. He, and what did he do? Every single day, he had an hour broadcast or something like that after the counts, after the meeting sessions, he would broadcast directly to the Polish people. Polish people would listen to it. They would talk about it. Then he organized throughout the diocese, because he was the primate, I think, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, he would organize um, reading groups. And discussion groups, mm-hmm. all led by priests and stuff, of people who were reading the notes yeah. of Vatican II and following along with him on the radio. And so mm-hmm. a lot of the craziness post-Vatican II didn't happen there because, one, communist oppression. Two, right. um, they, you know, their life because of the communist oppression was lived to the extreme. But also because they were being formed in a living, loving approach of the documents right like of of what vatican ii was supposed to be right through jp2 carol voitia right now but the funny thing is you look at his papacy and almost every one of his major documents are to take up a theme of vatican ii that it has run amok mm-hmm. like his mission of the redeemer was like listen mm-hmm. we have a document on in vatican ii on the missions and all these people who are missionary religious orders are just like well i guess we're all the same now because of the Vatican. The spirit of Vatican II says we shouldn't convert people mm-hmm. of other religions, that we're right. all going to be saved in the end. You're like, well, Vatican II, number one, doesn't say that. But number two, Vatican II has a whole mission document. Right. So then the Pope has to write on missions and then has to write, you know, on morality and then has to drive home not just Veritati Splendor, but then uh, uh, Evangelium Vitae. Right. And has to speak on these things and then give us the theology of the body. Right. And all of these things. And he was fearless. Like, that guy was fearless. Yeah. And he got a pass. Paul VI didn't, but he got a pass because communism. You know, Poland, he's leading this revolt. You know, he didn't right. get as much of a pass. I mean, and people hated him like crazy. But And the media always undermined him. But there was all of this. Um, he also was good with the media. Right, mm-hmm. he was skilled. Yeah. He was hilarious. He was, oh yeah, you know, he was an he was unlike you. He was not a failed actor. He was a good actor. Right? Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, he wrote plays, and they're really boring. But really... <laughs> I love them. I love them. But uh, yeah. you know, but isn't it funny? Like we have this, and then you know, left, right, center. No one reads it. No one reads Vatican II. Yeah. Bishop Barron published the documents. I gave out thirty copies. Right. Of the Vatican II constitutions, I don't think a single person's ever read them. But so you have I have. Them, well, but I don't I don't know, maybe I don't count. You don't. Okay. Until you get your doctorate. Dang it. The uh Sacrosanctum Concilium on the liturgy mm. has a handful of things, noble simplicity being one of the main ones, the use of the vernacular being allowed, the um 
but the pride of place of Latin, pride of place of organ, pride of place of chanting. Still right. to be maintained, not to be abrogated. 62. 64, you have Concilium. Mm-hmm. And they publish a list of things that Paul VI signed. And that's what was uh, uh, that uh, Dr. Larry Chap was saying. Well, he might have been manipulated, but he still signed the thing. Right. Um, and it just, it's like one line sentences like, um, you know, such and such is to be abrogated. Such and such is to be suppressed. Such and such is not to, mm-hmm. and it just was like this list of things. It was like a bullet point list of just shutting down traditional, and I don't want to say traditional Catholicism. I mean, Catholicism as it was being practiced that day, right? right. That afternoon, it was like, this is to be suppressed. This is to be suppressed. And you were like, oh crap, this is where all this stuff really comes from. Right. And that's where, like, people, Catholics are so confused. I have heard so many priests say the exact same thing I used to say. Uh, why didn't the church just basically take the 62 Missal in Latin and translate it into the vernacular? Mm-hmm. And then it was it was you, I think, they said they did. It was called the 65 and right. 67 Missal. Right. That went nowhere. Mm-hmm. That went nowhere. And I remember a buddy of mine, um, uh, he's a priest, Father Matt, up in, uh, I think he's in Ohio, but he was like, yeah, he's in Cincinnati Diocese. And he was like, this thing is awesome. I would, Can I celebrate this now? Mm-hmm. Can I use this? Right? It was large. It was about 80% of the way of what Sacrosanctum Concilium wanted in the reforms of the liturgy. But it was also very much the Tridentine Mass, whatever. Um, but even then, it was like that right. document or that liturgy was not really in line with Concilium. No, no, it wasn't. It, see this, and this is where everything falls apart. I think it does, and because this is where the documents disagree. When you go to the documents, you're going to run into this very problem. Yeah, and and but but again, here here's the other aspect of this too, which is why I say that the documents to, to just to show you how, how to, to just say, oh well, you know, well, let's read this document, but then just quickly look at something and observe yeah. it, which yeah. is which we've done. Look at this mass at this wonky parish down in Florida, and then look at St. John Cantus in Chicago, Illinois. Mm-hmm. These are both an expression of the ordinary form of the Roman rite, and they look like two different things, not in degree but in kind. Yeah, they look radically different. They look like you could... Now, Now, if you go to the ordinary form for... I'm using St. John Cantus because it's it's proximate to me as an example. There are certainly there are other parishes, but um, just to let the listeners know, normal people talk like that. They say it's proximate to me. Yeah, normal people say that. Yeah, exactly. Not just Thomas. Normal no, no, people. exactly. Normal people. Proximate yeah. means close. Yeah. Well, I mean, the cheetah that Dwayne the Rock Johnson used as a pet in Jungle Cruise was named Proxima. Oh, so there you go. And right now we are sitting proximate to each other. So maybe when we use these big terms, we should demonstrate. Do, do, it's very incarnation. Demonstrate. I'm sorry. What were we talking about? Where are we? Who are you? <laughs> I blacked out. It's late. <laughs> so, but when you, but that, that's what it all, <laughs> to me, that's where it's like, wait, wait, wait. I, I don't, I don't even want to have the discussion. This is yeah. the exhausting part of it. I don't want to have the discussion because when I see those two things, I go, what is the, how are you going to, if this is what should be done, how are you going to get there? And how do you even say that this should be done when the other one is the one that's most common, yeah. is the most normal? And on top of that, th- this is kind of a hypothetical. It's happened in some places. But there, there isn't anything in principle that would prevent a bishop anywhere in the world saying the following. 
um, uh, as the bishop, as the the shepherd of the liturgy, um, I am forbidding that Roman can, the Roman canon be prayed in my diocese. Now you can go find canon law excerpts and say this is unjust. Okay, fine, but the fact that that could be even conceived tells you something about the very conditions of of the common expression that there's something about its expression that makes us perceive that we can manipulate it in that way. Yep. Or we could say, you know, as in that other diocese in Florida where they said ad orientum's forbidden. Mm-hmm. You can't do that. But but that doesn't matter if you can't do that if you can't say that. It doesn't matter canonically if a bishop can or can't do that. Because it's conceivable mm-hmm. for the bishop to think that he can and that nothing will be done. I'm not saying like, oh, get him out, you know, laicize him. But I'm saying, what, 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 what's going to be the response? No. How are you going to get, is the bishop going to say, well, after a serious prayer and theological reflection, reading Sacrosanctum Concilium, um, I rescind my prohibition against ad orientum. I mean, you're staring at me and you're going, what? Yeah. But it's it'll like, never happen. It'll never happen. Yeah. So that so when when we can talk through that, then we can have a serious discussion. Then documents yeah. can have some kind of legitimate impact. Yeah, bizarre because when you study church history, you know we Catholics, from an apologetic standpoint, have such a high and lofty view of papal infallibility. You know, yeah. and we also come from the past papacy of JP two and Benedict, but really JP two where we felt like we're constantly defending what the church teaches and we're defending Pope John Paul, who's defending what the church teaches, right. you know, contraception, abortion, euthanasia, all that stuff. And then the, the idea becomes, we only understand this, this kind of trajectory of like, well, th- he's the Pope, right? You just do what the Pope says. And then the bishops are like, nah, I'm not gonna. Right. And you find out in plenty of times in church history, that was just the, the fact like, yeah. nah, all right, he'll tell me. Okay, I'll, uh, you go send your letter to Rome, mm-hmm. and by the time we get a weighed response where I write my appeal and blah blah blah, by the time he acts, yeah, it'll be ten years. Yeah, and guess what? Every priest in the diocese will be doing what I said in yep. the interim, and you know that the medieval time, sure, but now now it's like now it's so frustrating in my experience of being a Catholic because. Bishops can easily go, like in one sense, I don't want to be an ultramontanist. I don't want to look over the mountains to Rome for every little thing like we did for JP2. Right. But then at the same time, when you see bishops being crazy, you're like, well, is there any sanity around here? Mm -hmm. Then you feel like the crazy one because you get the EMHCs who come up to you and say, listen, I was just at mass with a bishop last week. Not of our diocese, but of another one. And he was blessing people who came up with their arms crossed. The extraordinary minister of Holy Communion was blessing people standing right next to him. So you're telling me it's wrong. Every church I go to, it looks like this. And you're telling me it's that. And I'm telling you, prove it, because it doesn't seem like anyone gives a crap that it's supposed to be that. That's right. Yeah. Right. And which is what you said. You said the church in Florida, which I know what you're talking about. You have an article coming out. Is it published yet? The one that you sent on no, historicism? What, what, where will it be published? Uh, Catholic World Report. Catholic World Report. Mm-hmm. I'll have a link. I'll put the link to your your landing page, right? Don't you have like a link? Like you click your hyperlinked name and all your 
Uh, yeah, I think yeah. so. Yeah, I'll put that's that right. I'll put Aww. that on there. Oh, bless you. But when you click it, like you look at St. John Cantus, you think you're looking at a Latin mass, and all of a sudden yeah. they start talking English, and you're like, whoa. Yeah. And then you go and you watch this priest standing in uh, behind the altar, and we're going to take a deep cleansing breath in. Mm-hmm. We're going to do it again. We're just going to let the Lord come into our hearts and just take away anything negative or <laughs> distracting. We're just going to enter into this moment, this saving moment where our Lord comes into our lives. And he just and then he talks about Jesus touching you, and I'm like, ah, <laughs> yeah, no. stop it. Uh, Father but, Cedric, come on. Is that who that was? Well, Father Cedric, remember he had all the he had one oh, of the uh, touch by uh, yeah, oh, yeah. Jesus uh yeah, touched by Jesus or you guys stop. I mean it's like <laughs> yeah, Lord, Dr. Lawrence Feingold touched by Christ this is this magisterial delivery of sacrifice. Yeah, but that's theology. very theological. It is. That makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, so where do we go forward from here? Just everyone goes to an ordinary parish and uh <laughs> Right, because I have sympathy like in theory I have sympathy for the SSPX. But then yeah. I also feel like they're Protestants who do the Latin Mass. Right, like, right. like, right. like. Oh, you you don't really follow whatever your local bishop says. Okay, that's that sounds Catholic, and you're like, yeah. okay, okay. Well, you adhere to this association that's canonically weird. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's a yeah. So the the challenge for the SSPX is, I mean, there is a real way in which disobedient. I mean, if you were being disobedient because I asked you to do something that was morally evil like yeah. you should be you should disobey that yeah the 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 challenge though with disobeying it for the sake of the good is if you if you do that enough disobedience then can become your disposition yeah and and so that 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 so i, I like the line that the mcintyre says about a tradition right one of the things that you have to be able to admit right away about your traditions is its limitations or its pitfalls, its dangers, areas of, of potential blindness. Um, and so that, yeah, I mean, I think that that has to be part of that as well. I mean, I I think that would go a long way for the SSPX to be able to, you know, to be able to say those kinds of things. Um, that would certainly probably foster some kind of real genuine reconciliation, although they've been unjustly, I mean to say that the 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 traditional Latin mass has been abrogated, right? That that's really where it all, you know, stemmed from. It's yeah. like, well, well, you know, the claim was, well, it was, and then Samorum Pontificum was like, yeah, no, it never was. Like yeah. even even juridically, it just was abrogated uh, socially. Um, it was the only way to ensure to help assist with the in, in inculcation of of the new missile was to say, well, you know. It's, it's not one or the other. This is going away. Yeah. It's the only way to ensure that this new thing, the shift, occurs. Yeah. Um, so in ter- now, but in terms of you know, well, where do we go from here? I mean, I, I think it's uh, I, I think it, the the answer really just has to be, um, you know, it's got to take place at the local level. Uh, I mean, it, it's if anything changes for the good, it's just going to come about through small things changing and happening. And 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 again, I, I think it. What is what is it? People need to see those things, mm-hmm. right? It's it's not going to be uh, the parish is going to get beautiful. Uh, is going to get the liturgy that we ought to have the heavenly liturgy, uh, an imitation of the head of heavenly liturgy. 
when we start reading more documents. <laughs> um, uh, now, again, I, I don't mean that as a criticism of the documents are useless, but I mean we if if what is there in the documents, the spirit that's there, if that's what we're trying to help bring about, you're going to have to do something else, mm-hmm. right? You're going to have to get people to see, uh, to have this psychological shift, right? Where they, they, you know, like you go and you look at this and, and you see this happen. Uh, you see candles on the altar for a certain amount of time and it just becomes normative. Yeah. And it's not to try to say like, Hey, do you want this or not? Uh, if you don't want it, you know, let us know if you want it, give us a thumbs up. Right. It's just, it's not a, a forcing these things, but it's 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 just kind of a slow, gradual sort of uh, recovery of certain things and actualizing them and allowing people to see them, and then it starts. It naturally starts conversations, right? These things changed. This looks different. Why are we doing this? Great. Now the questions are are being asked. So now we can start doing. Uh, we can answer them. We can provide catechesis, right? You can do all those kinds of things, and I think you should do that. And and um, you know, every parish or you know diocese is going to have a different situation. Um, so it's kind of a both end. You should do that. You should try to do that, but also keep in mind too. I think it it's it is a tremendous and steep hill. Mm-hmm. What has to to uh, be in effect for those things to even be permissible, right? You've got to have a pastor that would support it. You got to have to have a bishop that would support the institutional um, conditions whereby you could do those things and not have to worry about being moved or mm-hmm. some kind of you know restriction coming down on you or you know. Oh, something. I'm sorry. You got to go to psychological evaluation yeah. for a couple of years. We're going to send you to this really small parish called Pyongyang. <laughs> <laughs> what is the capital of? North Korea. <laughs> what is, is it? it? What's the capital of North Korea? Isn't it Pyong? Yeah, Pyong something Yen? like that. I was thinking of the other joke. What other joke? I, well, I thought that was the joke you were trying to make. What's the capital of Thailand? Oh, Bangkok. Yeah, I thought you were trying oh, to make okay. that joke. No, not not this late at night. Whoopsie daisy. On church grounds. No, yeah, you. whoopsie. Oh. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I, again, I think it's, uh, you know, Dr. Chap talked about, you know, church hopping. Right. And it's um, and and people, you know, again, the thing that we always talk about, um, you and I, Mike, is this the the notion of the context. Right. It it's like, yes, there's more than liturgy, but it's it's uh, it's very clear that once you experience liturgy, however it is, it builds a worldview Mm -hmm. about everything. Right. And even the terms you use, the language you use. Right. Why? Why do people, why is it so easy for us to say, man, that was a great service? Why do we, right? Like, that just flows out of us yeah. quite naturally. Um, we don't say easily, man, the holy sacrifice of the Mass. We don't, we have to force ourselves, or yeah. we have to be in a, in a liturgical tradition wherein that's, how, that is the language that's used, right? So terms there in that respect matter because those terms help to, you know, either elucidate or reference the very things that you are actualizing yeah. in your in your life. Um, so, yeah, it, it's I, I think the paradigm shift that has occurred culturally and within the church um, is is very very 
it is a serious crisis. Mm-hmm. But um, but I but I, I don't mean it. I also don't want to be overly pessimistic. I mean the you know the the Greek root of you know the crisis is you know it's it's a it's like a turn right. It's mm-hmm. an opportunity for a for a restoration. Reminds me of that Simpsons quote where Lisa says in China they have a word it's the same word for crisis as it is for opportunity. Mm. And Homer looks at Lisa and says crisitunity. <laughs> you go. <laughs> 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 all right brian we got to wrap it up it's two hours and eight minutes and 18 Dang. seconds doesn't feel like it it feels like we were outside of time uh we were we were chirotic <gasps> or just erotic I, you know i gotta i gotta look up my i don't know, uh, you know something the, was flowing i'm so pissed i was at barnes and noble today right this sucks so i had to go to the <laughs> i had to go to the mall <laughs> to buy an apple cable uh-huh. right i'm walking out i see a barnes and noble i'm parked behind it so i go to the barnes and noble I buy, you know, trying to hang out with you, with your proximate, I buy a thesaurus, right? Mm-hmm. I take a thesaurus. I'm just going to read through. I'm going to memorize words. <laughs> You're trying to hold it in. I crack open the book. It's blank. Every page is blank. It's a misprinting. Gosh, I was so mad, but I didn't have the words. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't have the words. <laughs> All right. This is Catchy Foxes. You're Brian Jones. Click the links for more. Brian? Outro. <laughs> no, I just realized I had a harp. Was that it? This is this is a harp, Brian. We got harps all day. It's beautiful. All right. Adios. God bless y'all. Come up for a communion. This is your communion song. Yeah, communion. Jesus is the bread of life. It's just a symbol. It's not really substantial.